0: How many here have ever seen the New Zealand Maori Haka? Yeah? You know the one? It, maybe, okay, so maybe if I tell you about it, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that somewhere. Like, it, they, it, so it's the Maori, they're the indigenous people of New Zealand, and they do this. It's, it's kind of a warrior chant. They can use it in other circumstances, like greeting one another, but it's kind of like psyching themselves up for battle, and so before rugby games and world Cup soccer games and things like that, they'll come out you know, and they're all like unified but you know they're standing you know in in phalanxes and everything and and then they, somebody starts them out and then they all do this you know, and then they do these various they look like cheerleaders kind of um but it's 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 dynamic it's it's bold and they they do this with their eyes the whole time you know like they're like they're it's like they're trying to scare their enemy and uh yeah it's it I get the feeling that none of you have ever seen this. You'll have to Google this afterward. It's actually kind of, a, it's kind of a phenomenon, especially in the soccer world and the rugby world. They have to decide how they can let other teams react when the Maori are doing this. And, and uh, it, anyway, it, it, it's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool thing. Very pagan. I'm not saying you should do it, but, uh, but it's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's very invigorating. Here's a question. Do Christians have a haka? Like, as we're facing our enemies, as we're facing the, 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 the demonic world, you know, uh, the darkness, evil in the world, our fears, do we have a haka? And I, I, I want to say to you today that we do. Um, we, we have worship. We have the Psalms. If you think about Paul when he was in prison, he and, he and Silas in prison there at Philippi. They're in a deep, dark, dank dungeon, and uh, it's not looking good. For them in that moment, it, it looks like a fearful place and yet they start to sing praises to God there in the midst of the prison. Or you think about Jesus on the night that he was betrayed after he'd gone through giving the cup and, and the bread, the bread and the cup to his disciples. It says that they sang a hymn before he goes out and faces that night of, of just utter uh, trouble of soul, troubling of soul. Um, he's, they sing a song to, to, to go into that. Psalm 16 is a haka, well, no, it's not technically a haka, they, they don't use that term here, it's called a miktum, uh, which you're like, is that a haka? It could be, it could be, in kind of a way, I, 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 nobody knows what miktam actually means, uh, but uh, here's the interesting thing, I looked all of the miktums uh, at, at all of them real quickly, there's only six in the t- entirety of the Psalms, It's it's this, and then it's 56 through 60, and when I looked at them real quickly, and, and obviously I didn't have a lot of time, but I just wanted to look to see if there was kind of a theme or something that, held, uh, uh, that was similar. And it seemed to me like it was kind of this idea of facing your enemy, facing your fears, and God being with you in that. So um, we're going to look at that, that idea of, uh, of, our, of our miktum, of our haka, and, and that we have a confidence. How do we face our fears? Do you have any fears? Life's just good for you. You, you, you never have any worries or anything. Um, what do we do? What do we do when we're facing financial peril? The loss of a job, disapproval of, of others, you know, within our, within our um, friendship circles. What about, what about something like a troubling cancer diagnosis that's, that, that we're facing and something of that kind? How do we deal with that? You say, well, you pray, right? Yes, absolutely, you pray. And we can pray, which is what David's doing here in Psalm 16, we can pray that same psalm. We can make it ours. We can make it our our haka, our confession, as we are facing our enemies. So that's the big idea today. Confess your confidence in the Lord when you face your fears. Let's look at it really quickly here. Psalm 16, verse 1. Mikdom of David, you say, oh, and I know what a Mikdom is now. Uh, Mikdom of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What is his request? What is, what is he asking for? Preserve me, right? Preserve me. Save my life. Be, be, be my refuge. I'm going to take refuge in you. Um, and um, you think about that iconic moment in every Western movie you've ever seen. Probably most Indiana Jones films have this at some point, but uh, it's the one where the, the protagonist is running from a whole mob of zombies or uh, Native Americans or Zulu, you know, warriors, and, and the arrows are flying, and they get to the fortress, and they you know, start banging on the doors as hard as they can. You know the scene I'm talking about? No? Wow, I'm really working with a group of people that do not know any of the, my references today. This is an iconic thing in film, right? Bang, 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 let us in, let us in. You know, you know and that whole moment. And then finally, just as, as it looks like death, you know, the doors open and they flee. Into the fortress. That's the moment I'm thinking about. And that's what David is kind of saying here. He's saying, Be my refuge, rescue me. Proverbs 18:10, in case you think I'm just making this stuff up. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So David's running to the Lord, and he's like, Save me, save me, preserve me. Let me in, preserve me. Now, interestingly, this is his only request. The rest of the psalm is not a bunch of requests of the Lord. Everything from this point on is like the haka, right? It's like this is what I confess regarding you because because I take refuge in you. And here's here's my confession. So let's look at these and and make them our own. There's seven. Uh, First of all, confess him as Lord. Confess him as Lord. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now when you read this in Hebrew, it's interesting because there's two names for Lord that are used here in the Hebrew text. Not that Jewish people would read it that way, they wouldn't read it out loud that way because the first name for Lord here, you can probably guess, is Yahweh, right? And Yahweh is the covenant Lord of Israel, he is, you know, the self-existent one, I am who I am, um, that's, that's the first name for Lord here. They usually don't pronounce that. They usually say Adonai, which is the second word for Lord here. So I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Tracking with me? Adonai means master or Lord. So he's saying the covenant Lord of Israel. I, you know, David, I confess that the covenant Lord of Israel is my Adonai, is my Lord. yeah. In Greek, when it's translated into Greek, and you're like, well, why do we need to know the Greek? Well, that's because the Bible that most of the Jewish people were reading in Jesus' day was the Septuagint, which was written in Greek. I think more people could really read Greek at that point than they could read the Hebrew. So they had the Septuagint, and guess what it says? I said to the kurios, you are my Kurios. Now, you've probably heard that term before. That's when we name Jesus as Lord. In the New Testament, it says that we confess Jesus as Lord. That's the word. Kurios. I said to the Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord. If we have fear, the confession of the Christian should be, Jesus, you are Lord. The first thing that we ought to know that we ought to have squared away in terms of what we believe and what, you know, what, our, what our warrior chant is, is that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Well, how else are you going to face? Unless, you know, uh, you're like a Marvel comic book hero and you can melt your enemies with your mind waves or something like that. Um, I think that's the technical term. Um, what 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 are you going to do? You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. Yeah, you can't take on all the you know the enemies of hell, every every possible thing that you might fear. So our confession is Jesus is Lord. Whatever I'm facing, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is is in control. He has my back. He's my refuge. That's my now. I think some Christians, at least people who call themselves Christian, have a have a problem in that they have not absolutely lock this one down some people come to christ and they 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 hear the offer of salvation and they go well i want that i want to be saved but they don't hear the lordship part they don't hear that that we are to confess christ as our lord and so they're still trying to be lord of their own life while asking jesus to come along and be their refuge that doesn't really work you have, to, you have to start with that, that right understanding of, of who he is in relationship to you, what he's in control of, what he's, he's in charge of, everything. But he's also, you've made him Lord of your life. That's your, that's your confession. And that gives you the place from which you can actually face your fears. Secondly, confess him as your one true treasure. That's critical, that you know where the good is in your life. Uh, David says, I have no good apart from you. Can you say that today, Christian? In, in your heart, I have no good apart from the Lord. God is David's highest good of, of all goods. It's like a creedal statement that he's laying out here. Lord, you are my good. If, there, if I have anything else that's good in my life that I can call good, it's only good because it comes from you. That's the, that, that is my absolute bottom line that, that you are good and whatever else is good can only flow from you. It's, it's the foundational, one of the key foundational truths of the Christian life. And you're like, well, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Well, think about this for a minute. Go back to the garden. What was Adam's sin? Yeah, well, he ate something he wasn't, wasn't supposed to. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's true. But here's the problem. When you look at... How Eve was tempted, Adam take, you know, following suit along with her. Um, what, what happened there? The, the serpent says, look at this thing that God has forbidden. God has told you this isn't good for you to eat this. This is bad if you eat this, right? So God's defined for you good and evil. And, uh, and don't you see how good this is? That he, this thing that he's withholding from you. And you know how God is. You know why he would do that because God's not really good. God doesn't want you to have good things, but look at how good this is. And so they took of that, and they flipped the universe on its head. Because what they said was, that which God has told me is is bad for me, which is not to be eaten, that is the good that I want, and I don't want the God who gives me the command. They flipped the universe on its head. When we say then, when we say that God is our good, our only good, we are turning the ship around, as it were, and we're confessing that which refutes the original lie. It's like honing a knife. Have you, have you ever, anybody here ever had one of the, you know, the, the steel, the honing steel that you have? You've seen chefs do that, and then they cut their fingers when they're doing that, I suppose. Um, you know the, yeah? I guess you're not really supposed to do that. You're supposed to kind of, but anywho. What, what, what you, you can't really actually sharpen a knife, but you can, you can align the blade. If it's already sharp and starting to dull, you can align the blade using that steel. You're taking the blade, starting to, I don't know, on a micro level, it's starting to get bent one way or the other, and you're straightening it. When, when we confess that God is our good, that he is the ultimate and only true source of our good, it's like that. It's like we're straightening the edge of our soul out to see the universe the way it is. Because if we go about defining good in all kinds of other terms, we're never going to be happy. We have to know where our good comes from. He is our good. Thirdly, confess his people as your people. Uh, we tend to see our religion as quite private, Um, you'll you'll even hear people say that like, well, that guy, you know, he didn't go around talking about it. He kept it to himself, which is exactly how it ought to be, right? That's the implication. Like, yeah, be quiet about it. Don't talk about your your faith. Let it just be this personal thing that nobody else in the world knows about. They discover it after you've died. You know, you've left a message in your Bible. Yeah, I really was a Christian. I just didn't want anybody to know, whatever the case might be. Um, That's not really how it ought to be. Look at what David says. He says, as for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So David is saying here, what is he saying? He's saying that God's people, they are the excellent ones. They are the holy ones. They are the ones in whom he delights. That's where his joy comes His joy comes from being connected to the church. Well, for him, the church meant Israel, uh, God's old covenant people. But for us, it is. It's the church. It's the people of God, the people of Christ. Christians should love the church. Now, do you need your quiet time? Should should there be this secret place, the place that only God sees and, and where you commune with God and pray to God? Absolutely, absolutely. But our problem is sometimes we favor the one almost to the exclusion of the other, and we don't understand the importance of God's people. Part of standing up to fear, if you're going to face fears, is this. Like, again, you go back to the haka, uh, which nobody here has ever seen, apparently, but, you know, you see these guys standing there, you know, and they're all doing that in unison, and you're like, wow, that looks powerful, right? Because they're, kind of, they're tapping in to, to that that. That camaraderie, that, that esprit de corps, you know all the you know the people together, and you and you can you can kind of feel it and 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 see it, you know when you if you're a wounded zebra out on the Serengeti alone, what's going to happen to you? I've used that illustration before, but it it, it works. Right? We are meant to be part of the group, and David adds uh, this part, and, and that is that those about those who are going after other gods, and David says, I'm not going to be part of that group. I'm not going to be with them. I'm not going to take their names on my lips. The people who pour out blood in, in murder or human sacrifice or whatever it may be. Those that are following after the God of this world. I'm not going to be part of that. Christian, you need the good people of God. If, if you choose to walk in darkness. And there's too many Christians that do this. They, they, they make a profession of faith and then they'll say things like, "Well, but you don't need the church. You know what's the church? A bunch of hypocrites don't want to be don't want to be part of that. And then what do they proceed to do? They be they they immerse themselves in the world. In David's terminology, they, they go after people who follow other gods, who who offer blood sacrifice in some metaphorical sense, or maybe not so metaphorical. And, and then they wonder when they're when they're wandering around in this darkness of the world, why do I feel like I'm in the dark? Because you're not in the light. You're not, you're not walking with God's people. They don't delight you. They're, I think there's a problem. Look, we can all be critical of the church. And, and I've been in the church long enough to, to have my critiques and my, my issues through the years that I've had You know, with other Christians and so on and so forth. We can all talk about those things uh, if we want to. But man, it's a powerful thing to say that the holy ones are your delight. Do you delight yourself in the congregation of the Lord? Do you delight yourself in the church being with God's people? That's supposed to be part of where our strength comes from. A major portion of our strength in facing our fears is that we're walking together with one another. Confess him as your portion. And I love this next part. This is, a, this is something that comes to my mind frequently. When I think about my life, I often think of these words: "The Lord is my cho- chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines, this is the, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance." Now, for some people, modern readers, this might not make a, immediately a lot of sense. I mean, it sounds good, sounds colorful, and all that. But what's what's David talking about? Well. When he mentions his chosen portion and his cup, those are, those are metaphors that David is using for all of God's provisions to him. The lot, the lot talked about here is, is the idea of casting a lot and then being given an inheritance accordingly. That's how the land was given out when the people of Israel came into the land that the tribes and then the, the, the families within the tribes were allotted a portion by lot. And it's saying God has that. God has that under control. God holds that in his hand. He holds my lot. Every good. is kind of going back to that he is the only good. Everything which is good in my life that I can call good. God holds. God secures. And then in verse 6 he keeps running with that metaphor of that, of that lot. And he confesses that his line has fallen in pleasant places. And I think he's talking about like the border of their land. I don't know, I've never been a farmer, but I'm guessing, you know, farmers are pretty aware of where their lines fall. Makes good neighbors, good fences make good neighbors. You know where your, your lines are, and if, and if you have a big farm and a, and a productive one, maybe you can say, my line has fallen in ple- pleasant places. David is saying that, but he's using it metaphorically. Because David is not primarily thinking about his land, he 's not primarily thinking about what he owns because what does what did he start out saying at the very beginning, what is his portion? The Lord he says, "The Lord is my chosen portion, so it 's not all the stuff that God has given me and, and which is beautiful and wonderful, and I thank him for and i 'm happy in it 's the Lord himself at the bottom line, at the end of the day, it is the Lord who is my portion." Christian, that is, I mean, this is our haka. This is our haka. We confess that Jesus Christ is ultimately everything. He is what we have. Amen. He's our inheritance. The Lord is my portion. Think about that. How many love to sing the song, A mighty fortress is our God. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. That's, a, that's, that's kind of like a confession, isn't it? bring it on. Take it if you want to. I don't care. You know what? Because God is my portion. The Lord is my portion. So I that picture a bunch of resolute saints of God, you know, standing there all together, you know, kind of in that squatted, you know, and looking, looking the devil in the eye and the tempter comes and he says, you know what? You may lose your life savings. And we're like, the Lord is my portion. Yes. Huh? Right? Huh? Yeah? Oh, you could die. The Lord is my portion. You could lose your family. You could lose your memory. You could get Alzheimer's and you wouldn't have anything left. And we go, the Lord holds my lot, right? At the end of the day, that is our confession. The Lord is everything to us. Every good that we have, he holds. But ultimately, he is the the greatest good of all of that. Confess reliance on his word. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, also my heart instructs me. What's David describing here? He's kind of, you could take this back actually to Psalm 1. Do you remember in Psalm 1 that that it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in what? The counsel of the ungodly. But his law, the, in his law, he delights. In his law, he meditates day and night. And that's kind of what, what I think he's getting at here when he talks about the fact that God gives him counsel, not the counsel of the ungodly, but God's counsel, gives it to him in the night and instructs him. We need to remind our souls of this. This is part of our confession. When fears assail you, when the waves and the winds come up against your house, as it were, the house of your life, and it's just breaking over you and you think you're gonna be swept away. Recall to mind, what is the counsel upon which you have based your life? It is the word of Christ. You have built your life on the sure foundation of that word of God. Some years back, I was starting to have this occasional thing that would happen. I would awaken in the middle of the night, just stone cold awake, and for some reason, I can't tell you why, But it was like, in just the, like as soon as my eyes were awake and open, it was as if I could see death. Not like a shadow in the room, but more like, like, like I were just brought to the end of a dock on on a clear, dark night, and the water was just like there. And it's just like the reality that death was just to step over into that. Does that sound morbid? Okay, but it can be, right? And, it, 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 and here's the thing, you're like, but you're a man of faith, Jay, so you were bold and brave in the midst of that. And, and the reality was that the, the sensation of that was fear, that I, that I felt trepidation. It wasn't that I doubted my faith or doubted God. It was just the, the sheer unknown nature of death itself. And actually, the Bible says very little about the moment of death. Like the Bible doesn't say, okay, believer, here's what it's going to be like the moment you cease to live in this world. This is what you're going to experience. It doesn't say. And I think that was what was weirding me out about it. But, the, but God gave me counsel in the night, not, not with a new fresh word that no one else has ever heard, but with the word of God. The word, certain, certain passages of Scripture came to me and, and really spoke to me and, and, and just carried me me through that that is the nature of our confession our confession is that that our lives are built upon the rock our lives are built upon the counsel and the word of God confess his unshakable presence I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be shaken again is this a request no this, this, this is a profession. David is resolving that this is how he's going to live his life. He's like, I have set the Lord before me. How do you do that? How do you set the Lord before you? Yeah, but, but that's what he's saying. He said, that's, that's, that's my intention. I'm, putting my, I'm fixing my eyes on the Lord, and I'm not looking away. I can give you a little homely example or analogy for this. How many have ever played golf? Yeah? Something I I didn't realize about golf before I started playing uh, it, but then it became quick. I really became aware of it rather quickly. Was that if you hit a bad shot in golf, you know what is your first instinct when you hit a bad shot? Right, you turn your you turn your back. You don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. The minute it starts going right, you're like, oh my. Uh, whatever the case might, be. but but you don't want to look, and and guess what, you lose a lot of golf balls that way, for a long time because your 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 you're, people that you're golfing with they're just bent over laughing they're not watching where the ball went, and then you look up and you come to your senses and it's like, where, where did it go? You have no idea. You just saw it careening off somewhere and you stopped looking. And then as you, as you've done a little bit longer, you train yourself to look. You're like just take it, just. That's a bad shot. Watch it, buddy. Just watch it. Okay. Third tree, off to the right. Okay. And now I got it. I can go, I can go find it. Like, what does that have to do with the Lord? It's, it's that determination. That the, only, the only analogy, is, it's a bad analogy, but the, the only thing that works in that analogy is it's that determination that you can't look away. You have to look. You have to keep watching. David is saying that his help comes from the Lord, and he knows that. He confesses it, so he will not look away. He will keep his eyes focused on him. Peter should have done that. You recall the moment where Peter looked away from Jesus, and the funniest words in all the scripture, and Peter started to sink. Have you ever, ever in your life started to sink? I don't know about you, every time I've ever stepped onto water, I sink immediately. There's no starting about it. It's just, but David, but, but I'm sorry, but Peter started to sink because he looked away from the Lord. He started looking at the wind and the wave. He looked at the things that were causing him fear, and in that, he looked away from Jesus. Make your resolution now, confess now, before, while things are quiet, before the storm sets in. Confess and believe that you will keep your eyes focused on him. Confess his joy. Confess his joy. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. He's got joy. Another word for gladness, right? got joy, but he's going to rejoice. That's his, that's his determination. He's going to rejoice. Have you ever thought about the difference between the noun joy and the verb rejoice? Like, well, that seems like a weird thing to think about. Well, some people think about things like this. Uh, joy, right? Joy is something you have. It's inside of you. It's deep. It's a, it's a sense of gladness, a sense of well-being, that you know that things are good, that things are well with your soul. To rejoice is an act of the will it's saying I will do that which bespeaks joy I will focus my attention on what I know gives me joy which is the Lord right and and I will be glad in those things it's a determination it's like have you ever tried to smile when you're upset when you're when your heart's down have you ever just intentionally smiled I'm not saying a fake smile like you're trying to defraud the world around you. I'm saying, have you ever just sought to turn that into a smile? You know, they say um, that when you smile, no matter what the reason for your smile, even if you're forcing yourself to smile, that it triggers dopamine release in your brain. So you'll be at least somewhat happier... If you're smiling, then if you're frowning. I'm not saying that we cure clinical depression by smiling. That's not my, that's my point here. Not my point. But, but David is deciding. He's confessing. He's determining that he will rejoice in the Lord. He's making that confession. Christian, if you believe that your inner well-being is determined by chance, fate, circumstance, something you really, really long for that you've never had or whatever the case might be, if that's where you think joy is going to come from, you're not going to have much joy. You understand that? I mean, you're, you're going to spend most of your time just wishing. And chances are, if you've spent that much time not having joy, just hoping for a joy that never comes, you're not even going to know it when you, when you see it. You'll, you'll, you'll not be practiced in, in joy, there's a whole approach in psychology called uh, cognitive behavior therapy. I'm not a psychologist. I don't play one on TV. But, but it, one of the things they work on is messages that people tell themselves. Because a lot of people that get down and upset tell themselves really, really horrible messages. Messages like, he makes me unhappy. Right? She ruined my life. Uh, she makes me furious, that disappointment crushed me, that loss destroyed me. So we, we say these really exaggerated things about how bad the world is that we're dealing with. Look at what David is doing. He's looking to the Lord, his sole source of good and treasure and inheritance, and he's saying, I will be glad in that. I will take joy in that because I will dwell securely because the Lord has, I've set the Lord before me. He's not going to lose me. Things are going to be okay because I am in him, and, and he is my good. Confess his promise of eternal, joyful life. This is the last confession. So, yeah. Um, there's, these words that I'm going to read are supremely fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. What is Sheol? Do you know what Sheol is? It, well, some people, more, more uh, generically, it is death. It is the grave. Uh, and so when D- what David is saying here is David is confident that the Lord would rescue him from trial and that he would not then die and be put in the grave and face corruption. Corruption is decomposition. Yeah. It's, it's the answer to the riddle, what is Bach doing today? Right? He's decomposing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So David is confident at that moment, he's confident that, that he will be rescued out, out, out of that trial. But is David saying, was David saying that he believed that he would never die? That his body, his physical body, would never give up. That he would never be laid in a, in a tomb and never uh, actually face corruption, never face decomposition. No. Now, that wasn't what David was, was confessing there. He's looking to God's immediate um, help in the trial, but he's looking beyond that to something more. He's looking actually forward to Christ. Look at what Peter says. This is uh, Peter. He's just quoted what we the, the verse that we just looked at, and then he says this, Acts 2, 29. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, what David was saying was looking forward to the one who ultimately would not face corruption, whose life would, would be raised from the dead. And even David seems to be looking ahead to eternal life when he says these words, the very last verse of the text, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David confesses that God's way is a path of life. As Jesus would say, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And the better promise is that In that life, it is joy to be in God's presence forever. David confesses his faith in the Lord that he will have joy with him eternally and forever. Confess that truth, Christian. Your ultimate comfort and confidence is joyful, abundant, unending, eternal life in God's presence. Does that mean none of this stuff that we're laying hold of you know, none of it applies to the here and now. No, of course it does. Of course it does. God is our refuge in times of trouble, in those things that we fear. We lay hold of that and we, we have absolute confidence in Him. God is sufficient. And yet we also know that in this world, we will have trials. In this world, we will have tribulation. Our fears are laid to rest ultimately when we look. To God who is our eternal source of joy in his presence. There will be joy forevermore. The Lord is your confidence. Confess that. Dear unbeliever, where is your source of confidence today? Uh, Where do you you place it? It's been a long time since I I would have counted myself as an unbeliever. So it's hard for me to relate. Do you, um, are you trusting in that diet you're doing right now? You're eating healthier, you're trying this or that new fad diet and, and, and you're hoping to live a little longer and be a little healthier for the remaining years of your life. Are you, are you, are you, is your confidence in your own mental strength or good luck or your family name? All of that is sinking sand. Everything that, that you're building your life on apart from the Lord is sinking sand. It will not hold you up. What would comfort you in the middle of the night? If you awaken, and in the middle of the night, away from the busyness of your life, away from all of the distractions, if for a moment you're standing at the end of a a metaphorical dock, and and you look out into the dark water ahead, and you realize that in but a moment, it could be a decade, but that that decade's like a moment, you're gonna step off into what feels like oblivion to you. What do you comfort yourself with at that moment? Where do you go? The Lord Jesus offers himself. He offered, there was a thief on a cross hanging next to him who had no hope. And, he, and in, that, in the moment of death, practically, he looks to Jesus and he says, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that moment, that transaction of faith, trusting in Christ, Jesus says to him, this day you will be with me in paradise turn from the broad path that you're on from that way of destruction and turn to Jesus Christ say to him I've said to the Lord you are my Lord confess Jesus Christ as your Lord today take him and receive all that confidence that we've been talking about today let's pray Father, thank you that you are our Lord. We can say that of you. We can say that of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is our Lord. And um, what, what a great confession we have, Lord. You are our refuge. We take, we take refuge in you. We trust, Lord, that you save us, that you save us for all eternity, for a joyful eternity in your presence forevermore. And uh, Lord, encourage us. Lord, encourage us to lay hold of that and to, uh, to confess these things that we've seen today. And uh, Lord, we do pray that if there's a person here who doesn't know you, and Lord, they have no confidence as they face their fears, that today, Lord, you would be with them. Today, that you would open their heart to see the reality of their life that hangs in the balance, Lord, that hangs just moments before eternity. And Lord, that, that in that, in that moment, That they would cry out to you and say, Lord, save me. Save me, Lord, I perish. And that they would confess you today as their Lord and be saved. We ask this in your name. Amen.